0: Welcome everybody to another edition of Legal Tech Week. Today is April 14th, 2023. Had to think about what year it is. And uh, this is the show in which we talk about the top stories from legal tech and legal innovation over the past week or whatever else suits our fancy. And uh, I am Bob Ambrogi. I have a blog called Law Sites and a podcast called Law Next. Uh, and, uh, got a small group here today. A lot of our, uh, regular panelists are, uh, off, uh, doing other things, but we are fortunate to have Jeffrey Brandt from PinHawk sitting in with us today as a guest panel. So Jeff, let me start with you and, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself.
1: Oh, thank you, Bob. Uh, I am the editor of the PinHawk Legal Technology Digest. It's a daily newsletter, it goes to somewhere around 17,000 people at this point, uh, I try and uh, uh, reduce the noise and uh, get the signal ratio up there. Uh, you know, you can't read every other article, it seems at this point in my feed is AI related. Uh, so I'm trying to take on the duty and responsibility of uh, trying to separate the, the wheat from the chafe, so to speak, in terms of the hype and the claims and everything else associated with that. So uh, always a pleasure to join you, Mary Band, So I appreciate uh, the invitation. Thank you.
0: See, every morning I get up and I'm like, was my post yesterday Jeff worthy or not? And it's like, if he features something I wrote about, I'm so happy and it makes my day for the rest of the day. And if not, I'm like, oh damn, I gotta try better tomorrow, so. (laughs) Um, And uh, a a couple of our regular panelists are here. Nikki, why don't you say hello?
2: Thanks, Uh, I'm excited to have Jeff here. And my name is Nikki uh, Black. I'm the head of SME and external education at MyCase and LaPay and I write legal tech columns for Above Law, uh, Daily Record, ABA Journal. And I also oversee some and write some reports out of the MyCase and LaPay side of things, one of which I'm gonna talk about today. And I'm coming at you from the MCBA solo small firm conference. I skipped the last session for this. So I'm at the lovely Woodcliffe here in, Rochester, New York. And Bob has spoken at this conference. Carolyn Elephant spoke at it in the past. Jared Currie has been here. So uh, it's I'm coming at you from a beautiful little location here. i happy to be here. Made,
0: Jared and I made the Massachusetts contingent trip out there a couple of years ago together. And got, got the <laughs> yeah. tour of Weg, Wegmans, which is the uh, highlight of Rochester, New York. Uh-
3: <laughs>
2: Sadly <laughs> enough, it's the highlight, but it's cool. <laughs>
3: uh, and Joe... Uh, Joe Patrice from Above the Law and uh, Thinking Like a Lawyer the podcast. I have not been on this show for several weeks and I'm excited to finally be back, uh, though if you hear banging going on all around me, it's because my house is a war zone at this point, but hopefully it's quiet enough for the show.
0: Yeah, we missed, missed having you, Joe. It's like, you know, we, like what are we going to talk about without Joe here? It's tough, but we managed to get through it. Um, well, uh, this a a couple of things to talk about this week, but uh, Jeff, I'm going to, I always like to give our guests the first dibs at uh, talking about something that, that they were interested in this week. So uh, why don't you kick it off? You're muted. It
1: would help if I unmuted myself.
0: Yeah. Um, first first um, rule of being a panelist.
1: First rule. <laughs> I've already failed to first rule of Um, One of the things that, uh, as I said earlier, uh, my Penhawk feed is full of uh, AI related and um, probably half the feeds are legal specific. uh, The other half are are just technology based. So there was a a post from Ars Technica uh, talking about why ChatGPT and Bing and everybody else was so good at uh, making up answers uh, and the hallucination is really the the term that's been used. And it went uh, very, very interesting post going into uh, basically a different kind of terminology, uh, human psychology confabulation uh, in terms of basically filling in the gaps. Uh, And that's basically what AI is trying to do. Uh, You know, you ask it a question, it doesn't have all the pieces or can't necessarily make the leap from A to, to D. So it's filling in uh, B and C as part of that. Uh, again, I think it's fascinating. You know, everybody wants to announce whether they're a vendor, your product now has AI in it, uh, whether you're a big law firm, you know, you're know you now using AI. Uh, and yet uh, we haven't worked out a lot of these issues uh, with hallucinations and, and everything else. So I think uh, it, it's fascinating to me that um, learning why things are working the way they're supposed to. And that actually brings up the uh, the second one. It was a uh, MIT technology review article that talked about uh, uh, the fact that OpenAI has been, put in air quotes, liberal in discussing how the different ChatGPT and GPT models have evolved. Uh, and then 4.0 was released and actually they went kind of radio silent on how 4.0 is different than 3.5, you know the details and and so on. And to me, that's a great concern because I think um, you know, exposure, openness, uh, not having AI uh, be a black box is a huge deal. You need uh, you know AI to, but whether it's in the courtroom and you need to be able to explain it to the judge, you need to be able to explain it to the jury, uh, whatever it might be. Uh, I'm a little concerned that that is a, a step in the wrong direction. And I'm assuming a step that is designed to keep a uh, competitive advantage uh, because it just blew off the rails uh, when uh, they opened it up and let, st- let people start playing with it. So those are the big things that, uh, that I saw in the last week or so that to me were were most interesting.
0: Yeah, I think the uh, it's interesting about GPT four, just it, I didn't actually realize that they were kind of uh, being um, uh, coy about what the differences were. Because I earlier this week, or maybe it was last week, I was working on something and I was looking on the site to get when it was GPT three point five. You could there was a, a kind of a page that explained how they had kind of trained it and the different models and the differences in the different models, um, and I went there this week looking for that page and for that information regarding GPT-4. And it's nowhere to be found that I could oh. that I could see. Uh, and uh, it does raise some interesting questions. And, it, you know, and it, and it of course raises interesting questions for lawyer users. Uh, you know, one of the big, big things we, we talk about is it is GP is just the sort of, you know, off the shelf, so to speak, GPT getting trained at all against legal data. I mean, like when it took the bar exam, what were their bar exam, you know, questions somewhere along the line that it was getting trained on or something like that. Um, and uh, we just we just don't know that at all. So it's a, it's a really interesting question. Well, like I said, I think it's
1: just the wrong direction. Uh, and it, it concerns me when you consider the tense of verbs being, being used to describe AI's usage. it is revolutionary, not it's going to be, uh, that it is all the different uh, uh, words we've attached to many things that uh, really don't warrant it. uh, I really do think that AI will be at some point in time uh, a major revolutionary tool. Now you've got a lot of things to resolve yet in terms of whether or not um, the bar Uh, chooses to go in that direction, whether they want to uh, put up a wall and and decide that it's unauthorized practice, uh, you know, and again, goes to, you know, it's great, right? I can write stuff. Uh, You have to comb through every single line to see that you don't have false sites, that there isn't something made up in between. And, you know, while it's very nice to have something to be able to react to, that's still not the kind of promise and savings that AI is just going to come in and do this stuff left and right, uh, not going to happen uh, for the midterm at least.
0: Yeah.
2: Well, I think the, it's going to happen a lot quicker than anything else has ever. I mean, it, this is going to be an exponential growth. And it's. It, I was just putting together a slide for a presentation I'm creating for chat GPT, and I just decided to use for purposes of the timeline to try to show that exponential growth. How long did it take different tools to get to 100 million users, starting with like radio or the telephone? And what was really remarkable to me was it took ChatGPT um, uh, two months to get to 100 million users from its release in November. It took Bing Chat, which granted is intertwined with a Bing search, but, but it took it three weeks. And you know, comparing that to like Twitter, which is like something like four or five years, and and uh, even TikTok, which was two years, and so uh, I mean, to me, I, I I always tend to be the big picture person. That's why I wrote social media like the, with Carolyn in 2010 and cloud computing in 2012. Like I tend to be, I think I'm pretty good at identifying these next big waves. Especially once a few people that are up the food chain, like Bill Gates, I identify them, <laughs> I tend to agree with him. and I think he's right that this is it. It, it because it's going it's just like email because it's going to be um change the entire way that everything gets done across our culture it's going to filter into legal a lot quicker than i think anyone thinks it will i think it's going to be a a matter of time before um it's ironed out one way or another that it's streamlining things to an extent and then it's going to sort of exponentially increase in terms of i agree with you
1: law is going to be forced into it which is why it's going to happen uh, faster than ground you know, roots kind of acceptance is going to be forced into it. But I think that uh, in some ways the the numbers you're looking at, because I saw a very similar study that talked about the uh, the acceptance rates and so on. There's a big difference between it being used uh, in a business sense as opposed to generate pictures of the boat in a puffy jacket or uh, you know, uh, uh, big bang theory in rhyming verse. Uh, so I think there's a lot of experimentation right now that doesn't necessarily mean that you know 100 million users are, are using it as opposed to playing with it. But I think you're right. It, it will be probably faster than we all want, certainly faster than uh, legal will be willing to accept, uh, but we'll still be forced to, uh, to work on that.
2: Well, and it also may be that it's. I think in the context of stolen small firm attorneys, it's going to end up being more useful. Um, be because I've used this example. I don't think you're on the panel when we did, but I know someone who works for the PD's office, and one of their colleagues used it for um, to draft some. You know, give me 20 voir dire questions for this very specific um, issue in a murder case. You know, and they they ended up using eight of them, and they got a not guilty. And picking a jury is a half of getting a not guilty, right? And so. Um, it, it's the idea that it can help you bounce ideas off, generate. You know, um, uh, it's like having this highly intelligent but sort of lying asshole next to you who, well, you can constantly bounce ideas off of, but you never quite know when they're going to just totally lie to your face and look at you all wide-eyed, like, and make it sound I mean, wonderful. So.
3: The the term, the term that's going around is mansplaining as a service, which is (laughs) kind of what it does. It's going to be very, very confident that it's right, whether it is or not. Um, Which, you know, when we talked about uh, case texts, co-counsel, that was the thing that I I got into while talking to Pablo about it was he was like, look, when you ask this question, it gives you this answer. We don't know. It knows. It, it it would it would try to give you an answer, but we're not confident that in the answer it's going to give. So we've built it to say I don't know there. But left to its own devices, it's going to try to explain it and potentially get it wrong. And that's that's when we, why, would, why I've kind of thought that this tool, which I don't think is ready for the prime time of the hype that people have about it, the the nature of getting there is not going to be about the algorithm itself getting better as much as it's going to be about people figuring out how to put guardrails on it in the most effective and professional and expeditious manner to deal with it before it does get smart enough that you know you can trust it.
0: Yeah, I wrote this week about that Joseph Q that came out. I think probably others of us wrote about that too. But similarly, it's got that kind of a guardrail where it basically just says you know, if, if it's not able to answer the question, then it tells you, I'm sorry, that's, you know, not something I can give you the answer to. And uh, that's that's very useful that it can do that. Uh, and, uh, well, yeah.
2: And since we might have a teeny bit of time, I just wanted to tell a funny, about a funny thing that I read about it. There's a thing called auto GPT that's out that all the, I guess, crypto bros are talking about, but it's like someone took chat GPT and ran it through Python and, turned it into like an AI that can just do its own thing. Um, meaning like you give it a task and it, you don't even have to keep saying, now do this, now do that, you just tell it what to do and it does it and it can go out into the internet to do it. And so one person tried to create like chaos you know, GPT so that it was supposed to go out and kill the world and told it to go out and like kill all of humanity. But what was really funny to me was so it was like, first it came up with art. Right, I'm going to create a Twitter account to stir things up. And then I'm going to go and use some other chat GPTs because it, it created a list of what I was going to do. I'm going to go get some other GPT bots to help me. And so it created a Twitter account that started to say like humanity sucks and I'm going to kill you all. So it successfully did that. But then when it reached out to another chat GPT bot and it said, now I want you to help me find the most horrible chemicals to kill people. And it said, I'm a nice bot. I don't do that. So talking about like guardrails, it got stuck because the GPT 3.5 had these guardrails in it and it wouldn't help this chaos bot do what it needed to do. So it got stuck with just this malicious mean Twitter account. And that was about as far as it got when it got set out into the world because the other bots got in the way. But it's really interesting. And if you look it up, it's called Auto GPT. Yeah. And it's <clears throat> this new tool that I think you're going to start hearing more and more about um, in oh. the GPT world.
0: It's,
1: it's interesting because um, that yeah. the guardrails right. piece is kind of like uh, Tesla and driving, right? I'm not sure that we'll ever see fully automated driving until we have smart roads as part of that, the two working together. So is there a piece for AI or specifically legal AI uh, that would, would be that smart road uh, that would then push us through the confidence levels and, and the other pieces and parts that would um get us into full adoption or close thereby
0: um well in so far as we're talking about guardrails and hallucinations and GPT i i wonder if we should talk about whether there should be guardrails around vendors claims of what they can do with GPT uh and uh i i i i I I wanted to, I wanted to talk about something I wrote about this week, and I, I actually meant to write a follow up, and I just haven't had time this week because I've been so swamped with other stuff. Um, and I don't I hate to sort of single out this vendor uh, because it's not their fault, <laughs> but but there was news news this week from uh, from Ironclad about their new AI and sys assist that they had kind of just they announced it earlier and took took it out of beta this week. Uh, it's a really cool tool that, you know, basically automate, uses GPT-4 to automate uh, the redlining of of, uh, draft contracts. But the the press release said, uh, quote, this is the first generative AI powered digital contracting tool to be released publicly to the market. And when I read that, I like had to stop and think, well, wait a minute, is this the first publicly first generative AI of our. And, uh, and then I thought, well, no, I mean, there's there's I mean, you can even just talk about case text co-counsel, which does some uh, digital contracting functions. And I think they even had an event at legal week where they kind of talked about some of that. Um, and so I actually kind of rewrote it a little bit in my, I, I reworded it in my, in my post about it to say it was the first, uh, I forgot how I said it, the first, I uh, thought I had it here, uh, the first contract redlining application powered by the latest version of OpenAI, well, so, uh, uh, of OpenAI's generative AI. So, so that was a mistake that I put that because then immediately I heard from nine million vendors who said they all had some kind of GPT-powered redlining thing going on, uh, I, 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 like within moments of publishing that post, I got a call from one vendor uh, saying, "Wait, that's not true. We do it." And then I got, um, I got another vendor that like sort of demanded that I issue a a retraction or a correction, which I may do in a way when I get around to writing about this. Um, but it, it, it points to, I think, a couple of things. I mean, there were so many vendors coming out with GPT related products, and there were so many claims around those products. Uh, and. Uh, maybe the safest thing to do is just not report half the stuff they're claiming about them. But, um, you know, if something really is the first to do something then I want to I want to cover that and report that. Uh, But it it gets really hard to decipher uh, what's real and what's not in terms of how companies are used. And even whether they're using GPT-4 or GPT, you know, or chat GPT or what are they even using? Uh, there's this whole thing about, you know, we're partnering with OpenAI. Well, what does that mean? If you really try and drill down to what does it mean that they're partnering with OpenAI? Some people just mean they're using the, the API that OpenAI has. Other people seem to have some more formal relationship where they're uh, actually working with OpenAI's developers in, in refining their product or whatever. Um and uh so I, I think uh in terms of hallucinations and guardrails, I mean we, you know, we as reporters I guess are supposed to be the guardrails around this, but it, it can be really hard to uh, sort through the the uh fact versus fiction in terms of what vendors are saying here.
1: A lot of it. Does it be very thick and very tall guardrails for the vendors? Yeah.
0: Yeah. Uh, I, I, I guess uh, maybe, maybe I need to start by reading some of the uh, the books that people have been talking about in the chat here to help me better understand all of this.
3: I feel like sometimes those sorts of errors happen because vendors themselves don't know what other vendors are doing. Uh, they live in their own little silo because I definitely have had meetings with vendors and I don't remember who it was uh, re- and I won't name them even if I did. But I, I don't remember exactly, but I've had meetings where people say, And we just developed the first thing that does this. And I'm like, I definitely talked to like four other people who have done that for about a year. Uh, And so.
0: Yeah, that's definitely. I mean, that's 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 been a problem, I think, for a long time with with, uh, vendors. I mean, uh, for as long as I've been writing my blog, you'll get vendors coming out with these press releases saying we are the first to do something. And. you know, had they taken 10 minutes to uh, even read my blog, let alone go on Google, uh, they, they would have realized that they're not the first to be doing it. Um, but
3: they asked Chat GPT, has anyone else <laughs> ever done this? And it said, no, I.
0: It just wants to please. It just wants to please. You're the first and you're the best. Uh, mirror, mirror on the wall. Yeah. Um, well, uh, before we get to to before we leave the topic of uh of ai and, and gpt uh joe maybe we want to turn to uh to your stories this week uh and then uh and then we can go back to the real world and talk about nikki's stuff
3: <laughs> yeah so uh this all this was a story that also i originally saw in ars technica The, the you know the first uh real defamation flame uh against the generative AI. It's not a, uh, they didn't file it, but apparently the system went on a search and tried to find some reason why, you know, was asked about some public official in Australia, and it spit out that he'd gone to prison for this bribery scheme, which it wasn't made up out of whole cloth necessarily. What the, what was wrong was that he was the whistleblower in a case that ultimately sent some people to jail for bribery, and it was getting confu- tripped up on that. But you could see how somebody who's an elected official in a country would have an, a problem with something going around and telling people that they've been in prison for bribery. So they've asked, you know, OpenAI to fix this problem or they may be sued. Uh seems as though they have because trying to ask questions about this guy uh get better answers now so maybe it's been handled but it is a sense of where things might go uh because what if you get in a situation where it trips up on details like that where you know it's an understandable screw up but it's one that you know mansplaining as a service can lead to trouble uh right? Well, I was going to say let me contrast this with Jonathan <laughs> Turley's nonsense because he is all up in arms about it because Eugene Volokh apparently is sitting around typing tons of queries into ChatGPT just to find one that it will be in- defamatory uh which I think trolling for defamation is not exactly a you know good faith effort but apparently he's been asking all these questions trying to find some mistakes and ultimately it told it told it that it told Vollock that Turley oh. had some sexual harassment case against him on a class trip to Alaska which okay uh should should be red flags that no one would believe but whatever uh because a why would a George Washington professor go take a class trip to Alaska uh. for anything? <laughs> And B, why would Jonathan Turley interact with students when he could just be writing things trying to get on TV, which is seemingly the only thing he does. So I don't think it was really believable. I don't think his reputation was in any way harmed. So I don't think this uh, counts. But I think that's a good contrast between somebody who just asks for a biography of someone and it misinterprets real data And, you know, trying in bad faith. One of the things Volek was doing was he wouldn't, and he didn't like go into this, but in his explanation of it, but reading between the lines, the prompts he's writing aren't, are there, you know, sexual harassment cases about professors? He's like, sexual harassment cases about professors, please provide five examples. And I'm like, Why'd you do that? Is it because you already tried one and it came up with the right answer? So now you're asking for two and then that didn't hallucinate. So now you're asking for three. Uh, It seems like he was really trying to do whatever he could to prompt engineer something he could report as a mistake.
1: Yeah. It'd be interesting. When I first saw that, uh, it was Mayor Hood, I think it was, in Australia. Um, So if you have ChatGPT or the OpenAI folks, program a, a bubble around uh Hood. uh first thing that immediately comes to mind is isn't that what caused how 9000 to go insane uh you know, right. so you look at these kinds of uh, you know what do you want to call them? butterfly effects downstreaming effects and so on um, you know are we going to be you know america's a fairly litigious uh, country are we now going to have uh uh, any kind of AI or language learning module now have these set of instructions. And now as I think about it, isn't that also, uh, didn't they do that to RoboCop in one of the lesser uh, interesting movies they gave him? he went from one or two directives to thousands and, and couldn't act. Are we going to uh, shoot ourselves in the uh, virtual AI foot uh, trying to handle all those? That'd uh, be interesting, be interesting.
0: We don't want GPT going insane on us.
1: Yeah. Not if it's connected to anything. But if you're <laughs> virtual, is fine, fine. When you start giving it access to other things, then now you're talking Skynet and everything else. So.
3: Right.
2: Well, right. I think it's a very real possibility. I don't think that those are like even... I, I've watched way too much science fiction. I think it's all too feasible and terrifying. So I don't think it's a... I, I don't know. The, the possibilities of once it does, like get out there on the Internet and... Uh, there's so many bad actors. There's so many ways to use it in bad ways effectively already that it's really alarming. So we'll see. It's yeah. been nice knowing you is kind of what I'm saying. So oh, yeah.
0: <laughs> It's all a simulation anyway. So does it really matter? Exactly.
2: Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you're, you're finally like buying into my life philosophy.
0: <laughs> oh, I'm I'm starting more and more to believe that. I don't know. It's, that's the only way well, to explain there, I, certain like the,
2: things. Right? Like <laughs> Every, every week, this headline like the Dalai Lama, that thing that he said to the young kid in front of a thousand people on camera, <laughs> suck my tongue. Like, what is happening here? Like, what
1: is going on?
2: This has got to be a simulation. There's too many crazy things going on. <laughs>
0: yeah. All right. All right. Well, uh, in a break from uh, established tradition here, we actually have, Nikki actually has something to talk about that doesn't involve GPT. So that'll be refreshing.
2: Well, and all this, all, all my introductions alluding to all these reports I oversee, I actually have evidence that I did oversee and write one. Um, <laughs> we, uh, one of the things that I do is I oversee a three-part series um, where we pull benchmark data from my case in LaPay and uh, write a short report about it each quarter and um, productivity, uh, financials, and then um, like how lawyers get work done how lawyers get paid and how lawyers get clients. And so the productivity one was just released and um, Joe wrote about it. And so did Steve Lerner at um, Law uh, Law 360. And so um, of course- Which is Nikki's way of making me feel bad because
0: I haven't gotten around to writing about it (laughs) yet.
2: Well, (laughs) we're going to talk about it. So it's all good. Um, (laughs) So let's see. So this is um, Joe's. And then, and so basically what I focused on was I pulled some productivity uh, data from my case. And I tried to focus on um, this year, sort of some KPIs. My goal is to partly provide lawyers with data that can help them make uh, decisions about how to run their practices and how to get work done in their practices. And so um, uh, in so some of the things that I thought were particularly interesting in terms of data from this report, and I'll put a link to the report in a minute, um, was uh, we have a feature called Smart Time Finder. Um, and it's a great example of how efficiency uh, tech tools that uh, increase efficiency can really affect your bottom line. And so Smart Time Finder's passive time tracking that's built into my case. And so at the end of the day, lawyers can pull up the uh, Smart Time Finder page and find all the work that they've done within my case that they haven't yet billed for. And so they can easily capture it and tr- invoice it out. And so <clears throat> what the data showed was that um, in 2022, if you assume a $350 per hour billing rate, our customers who use Smart Time Finder capture additional billable time in 2022 worth um, $202 million and change, and um, so that's a significant oh, no. amount of money <laughs> that's um, captured using this tool. So it, you know, more than pays for the software itself. Um, so that was a, a cool thing, and it's just a way to show that we've all been stuck at the end of the day with an empty timesheet, And it just goes to show how not only are you tracking time as you go, but you're able to capture this time that you missed. And then um, uh, another thing that was, um, I think was interesting and that was new that I did this year was the work in progress rates um, <clears throat> for different um, practice areas. And so essentially what that lets you know is get a sense of how efficient your firm is and also how your firm's caseload compares the people with other practice areas, uh, the other firms, with the same practice areas. So it just provided, we provided information about the average number of open cases per firm in 2022 for all the different practice areas that we focused on, the average number of closed cases per firm for that same timeframe, and then the work in progress rate, which is just the open divided by closed. And so you, they had on, you know, it just showed how many cases they were working on at any given time for the different practice areas. So like immigration was 10.3, bankruptcy, 10.9. And then like traffic was 5.2, civil was 6.6, you know? And uh, sometimes the data can be a little bit challenging to pull and then make sense of because not a lot of people are just traffic firms, right? So they have other practice areas and um, it affects the, and then the length of the cases are gonna affect how many are open at a given time and the complexity. But it's an interesting benchmark that helps lawyers make business decisions about their practices. So <clears throat> I, th- I was really interested in to pull the data and try to make sense of it and use some of our data analysts to help me do the math that I went to law school to avoid. <clears throat> so, <laughs> um, but so that this was an interesting, there's some interesting data in there that's worth checking out and read. And Joe's articles are always very entertaining so you can read his post, so. <laughs> And I'll go track that link down to the report, so you can download it if you're interested.
0: Yeah, what's I, I think what's uh, part of what makes these reports interesting, uh, <clears throat> and you know, probably have to give a, a, a shout out to Cleos as well, because what, what what you're able to do because you have so many lawyers working on your platform is to get actual data about stuff that we used to kind of take lawyers words for word for, you know, we, we in older surveys, you know, you, you may ask lawyers about some of these KPIs or, or other 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 factors. Uh, and I, I suspect they didn't always uh, answer or report them all that accurately. But but uh, now with with these cases running through my case, running through, Clear, running through other practice management systems, you can you can Really see the numbers and get a much better picture of uh, how well lawyer how you know what how well lawyers are making use of their time, uh, how effective they are uh, in 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 billing and and uh, and other things in case management, uh, and uh, it's not always a very pretty picture that comes out of it.
2: <laughs> and it is hard to make sense of it. Like this one also included um, uh, the on, my blank on what it was one second um data that uh showed like efficiency in terms utilization rates and the the challenge with that is that um you really need to isolate it to solo practitioners only um because utilization rates for like different law firms are going to vary because there's the bigger the firm is the more practice areas and and so um and you and utilization rates rely on tracked hours so you needed we really only wanted the lawyers who build a lot of hours, not the ones that did contingency fee or flat fee billing. And so we had to look at just solos that build a lot of hours over a certain amount for the data to be even remotely useful. And so it was interesting because for solo law firm customers that recorded at least 5,000 time entries in 2022, it was, um, they had a 6.1 hours of actual build time per workday. But when you looked at solo lawyers who recorded at least 1,000 time entries, it was 3.1 hours. And so you can, and I know that like one of Cleo's data points was always used was like solo lawyers only build like 2.1 hours. Like our data showed something different, but it was be, but it was when you really dug down and only focused on the firms that were actually billing out those hours, because some criminal defense attorneys um, are using assigned counsel, most are using flat fee. You know, some civil litigation attorneys will um, track their time. But they're billing contingency, and they're only doing that in case they can get lawyers' fees or something. But they don't actually bill the time out. So that's why we wanted to focus only on solos and only the ones that actually had time entries that got invoiced, and to try to get data that was hopefully slightly more accurate in terms of you know the utilization rate and how much work they're actually getting done each day. So yeah, <clears throat> but it's one tough of, actually one of the other interesting.
0: I thought one of the other interesting things out of it, uh, I mean, I don't know what exactly what it tells you, but with the court date reminders data <laughs> where it it tells how many court date reminders are the number of court date reminders sent to clients by practice area. Um, at first, when I read that, I was thinking it meant court date reminders that are coming for the lawyers, reminding them of their own court dates. But then I realized it was going out to clients uh, and, and I mean, some of these are, <laughs> it's really interesting to see. I mean, criminal law, you know, uh, well, I guess the average number isn't all that high, two, two per case, but some of these, you know, 19,000 uh, reminders in criminal law cases, what was the, ho- I guess the highest was personal injury, although not a, a huge number overall, but per case 3.2. Uh, but uh, it gives you a picture of, uh, you know, how many of these cases are are, are in court and and needing their clients to be in court. I thought that was interesting.
2: Well, and that's also like these reports serve a bunch of different purposes, right? And court date reminders are a cool feature that we have that shows how, you know, if you automate the the reminders, you don't have to actually, the system will do it for you and you don't have to send it out yourself. And it just sort of shows this time that was saved by these lawyers because they had these automated reminders sent out that they're admins or that they didn't have to bother with. And also it is interesting just to see the different practice areas, um, <clears throat> how it varied. I mean, that's what I think is so interesting when you break it down by practice area, how some of this stuff is so different.
0: Yeah. Uh, that's all we had. So all we had to talk about. Anything else we want to talk about? I, we, I probably should at least mention uh, the uh, investment in iManage this week, uh, kind of notable news. Uh, uh, they, they're, they took a uh, strategic growth investment from Bain Capital Tech Opportunities, uh, which is actually the second, I don't know how the Bain entities work, but it's actually the second major legal tech investment from Bain in a couple I of weeks, they that were too. involved in that VLX Fastcase okay. one as well. Um, and uh, so I don't know I don't know what's going on there, but uh, you know, I, I manage uh, is uh, continuing to work on its on its cloud platform and uh, I, you know, I think that's where, where the money's going to be going here uh, is, to, is to continue that push. Um, I think they've got some strong competition going on with uh, NetDocuments right now, and uh, it will be interesting to see where that goes.
3: One other story that I thought worth flagging, I wrote something up, but it was originally a Wired story. Was kind of, I kind of viewed it as the mirror image of the do not pay pile on that people have been doing. Uh, because say what we will about whether or not do, do not pay overreached, totally. Uh, that said, <laughs> at least it was trying to help people. Uh, what the Wired article is about is that these debt collection firms are now utilizing these ai tools to pepper the dockets with requests for cases that would other they would otherwise never go after because it's not even worth the time and effort uh but given that our debt collection world is so bad uh with people often never even being served with stuff before a judge orders their wages garnished uh with people with judges not even bothering to read filings uh in some of these instances just seeing oh you say this person owes of whatever okay fine so ordered uh, and so these bots now allowing these lawyers to these agencies to file tens of thousands of lawsuits they otherwise wouldn't and who cares whether they're bad they can probably get some money off of people even if they're wrong in some instances uh the person had actually paid it and they have bad records uh is really kind of frightening and it's it and i thought it was a mirror of the do not pay in that uh do not pay one of the knocks was you know Catherine Tucson tried to make it write a complaint and it wrote a bad one. And yeah, if you're trying to defend yourself and write a bad, uh, a bad defense, that's a problem. But if you write a bad debt collection complaint, unfortunately that tends to work out well for people. Well, for the companies.
0: Yeah, it's, that's a real problem. Somebody in the chat yeah. mentioned solo suit, which is, uh, Solo suits, like basically, sole purpose is to help people just respond. I mean, they don't they don't do anything much more beyond that. But one of the big problems that they identified was that so many people that are that are served with debt collection lawsuits have no idea what to do about it and just don't yeah. do anything, and therefore the 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 uh, creditors get a, a, a default judgment against them. Uh, and solo suit was an attempt to try and uh, address that. By uh, at least making it uh, uh, easier for people to be able to respond to a lawsuit and uh, uh, and get into court, and I mean so many so many of the debt collection lawsuits really are, you know, they were junk. A lot of them are junk before they were using it had to junk them up even more. So that is a that's a troubling a troubling development.
1: Well, I mean, if you're looking at the human side expense, and you know, it's not <laughs> worth going after anything under hundred bucks and then you automate that so that you know it's worth going after anything that's 10 bucks um you know that's a, a quantum leap in uh annoyance uh at the minimum
0: yeah yeah
1: and well,
2: that's where gpt can, you know these these tools can do that in quickly sure. for him someone at his conference was just talking to me about oh he just read an article maybe it was the same when you talked about that but that where they have Calculations where they determined approximately what monetary level people will just pay. He was talking more about copyright um trolls. Same concept though, like at what level will people just pay instead of getting a lawyer. And I it's the same with debt collection. You know, I think that they sort of know exactly what that tipping point is where they're actually going to try to figure it out or just pay it or just ignore it. Like they know how to do this and do it quickly. Yeah. And efficiently.
0: Well, I think I think uh Dennis's words can like walk us out of the show this week. (laughs) We kind of live in hellish times when you think about it. Uh, Yeah, I guess we kind of do when you think about it. Uh, But but that's why it's all a simulation, right? uh, but uh, all right, I, I think we can wrap up earlier because we don't have much more to talk about and uh, let everybody have their weekend uh, get going a little bit earlier and we'll be back again next Friday to talk about whatever happens in the world of legal tech and innovation between now and then you won't be you're nodding your head. You're shaking. Yeah. All right. Some of us will be back next Friday. All right. Thanks, everybody, for coming. See you all. Jeff, thanks for sitting in. See you all next week. My pleasure.
2: Bye. Bye. Bye, all. Have a good weekend, everyone. So